0: Welcome to the RSP cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. And joining me as always for this projection series is one and only Dwayne McFarlane with Pro Football Focus, Establish the Run, and Fighting Chance Fantasy. Um, You can find him at all those fine outlets there. You can find me at Football Guys as well. Um, And listen, um, this is, we're well into our projection series. We're going to do the Los Angeles Rams and San Francisco 49ers tonight. And uh, we'll see what we can do within the next, oh, I don't know. 10 to 12 days <laughs> to get some of the rest of the teams. I assure you, we will do the NFC South that I can assure you before we the season that starts. One. Cause that's a division and a half right there. But Dwayne, listen, what do you, what stands out to you about the LA Rams? You
1: know, when we start this thing off. Well, one, if you are a fantasy player, it's a team that, you know, I think you got to kind of take a stand on that because there are just a lot of guys that are going in ranges that make them, potentially appealing, right? I mean, so if you look at the rookie running back, Cam Akers, you know, he'll go in the fifth or the sixth round of a 12-team draft. Tyler Higbee, is he, you know, a stud like what we saw down the stretch last year? You know, what are, what are the Rams going to do with 11 or 12 personnel this year? You know, what about Gerald Everett coming back? But we saw what Higbee can do, and I remember hearing you and even Sig talk about higby a long time ago and he's just one of those players that and, and i think what i heard you guys say that i always listen for and, and you called it last year i think kinetic energy but it's just these guys that play with an edge right and higby has that to him so you also have cooper cup what's going to happen are they going to run as much 11 personnel or are they going to run more 12 personnel um you know and then you've got you know the old faithful robert woods so and a guy with new with a new opportunity, right? Josh, you know Josh Reynolds on the outside. So I think there's a ton to get into here that people are going to be really you know wanting the full breakdown. Um, but if you just look at the higher level, if we start there, you know the Rams won nine nine games last year. Um, they're projected for eight and a half this year by Vegas. Pro Football Focus has them forecasted for eight point two wins. So everybody's pretty close. This is a team, you know, that Matt two years ago was was dominating everyone. You know their average margin of victory the two years before last were 9.3 and 8.9. Last year was a 1.9. Um, so they, they've kind of gotten bloated. If you look at them from a standpoint of some of the salaries they took on, and um, a team that was looked like that looked like wow, who's going to topple them? how quickly things can change you know is my is my big thought but if you look at the o-line there are some major problems they had injuries last year down the stretch they will get some players back but i don't know how much it's going to help because the players that they lost were already bad (laughs) and then so now those guys are back to play so i mean i guess that's better than their backups but you got whitworth at left tackle you've got note boom who graded 81 out of 81 guards last year but you know he is a young player He, he could potentially get better Allen graded 28 out of 37 centers. Blythe graded 68 out of 81 guards. And then you have uh, right tackle. Who's their right tackle? I don't have their name there. But he was 74 out of 81. So it's not good. You know, there's a lot of issues. Um, I already talked about Cam Akers. They also added Van Jefferson uh, in the draft. They added another linebacker in Terrell Lewis. Um, They also added a tight end bryson hopkins which is interesting you know we could talk about that when we get to gerald everett and tyler higbee and what's going on there of course they did lose todd Gurley. um they lost a really good linebacker that can cover and do a lot of things in littleton and then they lost an edge rusher um, and dante uh fowler. dante fowler jr so i mean there's a lot of you know and they lost matthews and Weddle, but those guys didn't really they weren't all that productive at that point but i mean they were contributors so there's a lot of moving parts here um what i will say you know for them Um, last you know the last two years they're going to be in that 1025 attempt range which is pretty good for years without any overtime games I mean that's there's a good pace um, you know with McVeigh. so if you're looking for you know for plays as a fantasy owner I think you're going to get it Um, the difference with the team now is that it used to be much more balanced Matt you know and when I say balanced today's NFL like this is almost I would call this run balanced, meaning you have you have Leaning's more to the run than the rest of the league, but you still pass more than you run. Um, so 55-45, you know, the year before, um, and 53-47 the year before that. And then last year that jumped to 61% pass and 39% um, rushing. So they really got out of whack. And I think a lot of the things that made their team so successful, like the play action passing, um, attacking those windows behind the linebackers, but in front of the safeties, you know, working multiple levels of the field with different weapons, Um, and then I'll, you know, we already talked about the offensive line was just caving in on Jared Goff. So I think, I think it's really, this is, this is going to be McVeigh's chance, right? We all know he's got like a photographic memory. We know that he, you know, crafted a really good offense that caught the league by storm for two years. And now what I'm looking for is, can he make the adjustment? Can, can Sean McVeigh make the adjustment? And, you know, I, I think that he will, I I think that he will, Matt. And here's why. Last year down the stretch, Okay. Um, Normally, they had been 11 personnel, 72%. They jumped their their 12 package jumped up to 22%, which was 12th in the league. It was up six percent from 2018, and that doesn't really do it justice because over the last five to six games, they were running about 30% 12. Um, So when Brandon Cooks went down with the um, with the concussions, and then they kind of had to start protecting him, I think they accidentally maybe even found something. Um and oh by the way, Gerald Everett went down too. And what they found was a tight end named Johnny Munt, who's a badass blocker in the running game. And Everett became the focal point outside of Robert Woods. And they played twelve. They didn't play eleven a lot. It really hurt Cooper Cup as far as fantasy owners go, but you know what? The Rams offense got way better over that five games. Jared Goff got way better over those five games. So Looking at that, I think we probably have a little bit of a blueprint for what we. It's not, they won't, they won't just completely get away from 11 because they still have Cooper Cup. Cup. They're going to, he's a great slot receiver. So I know they still want to get him involved, but I think we're going to see more 12 looks. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of Tyler Higby. That's where I'm hedging. And, and the reason why is last year, even when they were both health, healthy, those two guys didn't play together that much. Um, and Everett is a really good athlete. He's a great movable chess piece, but I think he's he's a problem in your run game so if you want to create the illusion of i could run or i could pass on this down i think higby and Munt is what's going to get you the most respect from the defense and then you're still going to have higby you're still going to have robert woods working in behind you could put cup outside some and then you have josh reynolds who normally plays in 12 so i know that's a lot but i think there's a ton to unpack with this team and it's all really important because if you're if you're drafting a fantasy team this week or next week or whether you're doing DFS whatever the case is you know the Rams are a team that you gotta you're gonna have to take a stand on
0: no I think it's important stuff I think it's a great overview because I mean listen I'm a Jared Goff fan I've always been a Jared Goff fan I think that he gets piled on a little too much oftentimes he's not a guy that's going to you know I think we often are in a league with fans where the guy either has to be a complete superstar or carries his team or he sucks and I think that Jared Goff is a guy that needs a good team around him in order to perform well um, statistically. But there's a lot of things he does on tape that don't always jibe well with the data, I think, when it comes to what he knows how to do. He's very good in the pocket. But if you look at the, pocket, at the data that is trying to mimic what the pocket does, it doesn't really quite do it very well. So he looks really like he's awful in the pocket when I actually think he's one of the better pocket players passers in the league um in terms of how he maneuvers and moves around the pocket. I think if Tom Brady were in in um he, well Tom Brady was kind of in the um Rams offense for the last year and everyone there's a lot of people who think he's washed up as a result of what happened. So that's kind of an example of that. But when you look at this team, I mean it is interesting because it is Sean McVay, you know, you could take it another step and say Will, if you're going to say, I think he'll get, uh, make the adjustment. The other argument is, well, what took him so freaking long? Like he literally, he literally showed his hand against the Detroit lions, you know, literally two years ago and yep. the lions pretty much <laughs> nailed him to the wall. Then the bears did it again the next week. Then the Eagles had their fun and then they, they got their way into the super bowl. Um, but You know, Bill Belichick was like, you're really just going to run this simplistic offense against me? Like, that's all you're going to do? You're not going to make any adjustments? You have that kind of hubris that you think you're going to get this done? Yeah, let me shut you down. And you would think after Bill Belichick basically, I mean, maybe no one else realized that from a fan's point of view, but from coaches' points of view and analyst's points of view,
1: Bill Belichick humiliated you. Yeah, you know the secret he, was out, like you said. after yeah. the Lions game. Multiple teams. Once the Lions showed what to do, he yeah. deployed that same plan.
0: Yeah, he he basically he if Sean McVay was Coca Cola, he basically read the 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 secret ingredients in every language upside down and backwards and in the big Latin, and and was singing the song while he was just ripping that thing to shreds, and it was like he. He had to wait, what, eight, nine, ten games before like he decided to finally change when defenses were pulling out the old, what, um, I don't even remember the name of the scheme, but it's a scheme where basically they say, you know what, this is how we defend outside zone. Most high schools use this when they decide they're really going to go um, really hard big time to like defend the gaps in a up front here, but I haven't seen a pro team ever use this alignment in the past 30, 30 years that I've been paying attention to football. Maybe they, yeah, I think they
1: call it, they call it tight. And then some, yeah. some of the coaches call it eyes. Yeah.
0: But it's even like, and it's an interesting little alignment there in terms of how they stack things. And the fact that they did that is just, and McVay was like, yeah, we're just going to keep running into the wall until the Steelers game. To me, I was like, that was st- stubborn at the very least. I mean, so will he make the change? I think he will,
1: but it's like if
0: he doesn't I'm it's a question for sure. I don't think we can
1: guarantee it. I mean, I think you and I are like assuming it because he seems like a smart guy. Yeah. But it is a question.
0: Yeah, I've known plenty of smart guys who are complete dumbasses in the wisdom department. So (laughs) I mean, I think we've all been there. It's like, you know, I'm a big I like the I like the um I like Forrest Gump because I think the Forrest Gump movie is a perfect example of someone who is not book smart in the very least in the most extreme way possible that he is not but might be the wisest guy. That you will ever see. Like he has wisdom off the charts and no book intelligence whatsoever. And you can see how far along he ended up in life as a result of having, you know, just wisdom. So, and there were a lot of smart people who didn't have, who were, who a lot of smarter people in that movie who didn't have his wisdom and they floundered without it. So it was like, you know, to me, McVeigh's that guy. Does he have enough wisdom? We're about to find out. I I look at this and i'm with you know i look at it and i say 65 throwing this year because just as you described with the uh, with, with the offensive line it hadn't gotten better you know so they can't just hide behind whitworth so it, it, it's just one of those deals where it's going to be 65 35 and when you're going to have a committee running back situation that also tells me they're not going to really get into a rhythm because they really haven't found their groove yet and they and it's not just because which running backs best and they don't know which one's best it's Which running back is going to work best with that offensive line? Which offensive line, you know, do they want a quick hit with Darrell Henderson and get a guy who could just, you know, maybe just take the straight path and hopefully get through there like a bullet? Are they going to need Cam Akers who can do a little bit more in terms of creating? And will the line be good enough to fit that? Or are they just going to say, forget all that, let's get the dump truck out, Malcolm Brown, and let him be able to create yards after contact because he's very good in that department um, in terms of his size. And he's he's quicker than you'd expect. He's a savvy player, actually. So, you know, that's an interesting group. And then, yeah, if we go, I, I agree, it's probably going to be 12 personnel all the way, and Everett is a th- difficulty as a blocker. Johnny Munt is basically a blocker and a check down receiver out of Oregon. You know, he was, a, he was an interesting guy out of Oregon in terms of just – in terms of what he did, just being a short area. They have a lot of short area H-back type of guys. So the fact that Munt really showed out as a blocker um, is, you know, is a positive for him, but I'm sure they're hoping that Bryson Hopkins, whose dad was a heck of a blocker for the um, t- Tennessee Titans back in the day, um, Brad Hopkins, a Pro Bowl tackle, I guess they're hoping that Bryson, who's shown some decent technique for a smaller H-back type of guy can do enough as a blocker that he can be the dual threat along with Higby as a receiver. Cause he's a, actually a very quick receiver. Like he's Johnny Munt with um, more range. Well, he's not as, not as a blocker, but in terms of the receiver, he's like a Johnny Munt type with a lot more burst um, and a lot more upside as a downfield receiver. So if they could get those, you know, Higby and Hopkins really working well down the line, if it's not this year, next year, they're in good shape, you know? So, you know looking at it from a numbers perspective i have um, nine you know i have 935 plays um which is kind of still a little bit on the low side i think um or not but um you know looking at it from that perspective i i just think that you know this defense has some weaknesses this run game's going to have weaknesses the offensive line has weaknesses i think they're going to get shut down a little more often than they than they'd like Um, this is going to be a garbage time special team if it's a fantasy type of situation, kind of like the Jacksonville Jaguars could wind up. So I've golf at 612 attempts, 398 completions for 65% completion percentage. I'm at 4,635 yards at a 7.57 yards per attempt, 26 touchdowns, 4.2% of his attempts. And then I have him getting intercepted 2.6% of attempts for 16 this year, um, you know, under pressure, the kind of pressure he's often under, um, yeah, that 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 happens. So I'm at 35 attempts, 42 rushing, 47 rushing yards, and one touchdown. That puts Jared Goff grand total, please. He's a he's definitely a draftable guy for me in one quarterback leagues. Um, I have him right now. At 16 on my board, so he's he's kind of one of those guys that, based on the matchups, should be a decent play for you. But I'm not counting on him as a as a number one quarterback in the ways we did maybe two years ago.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I've got the team at 1,025 plays, so I've definitely got him at more plays. Um, but I've, I've got him at 58% pass, 42% run. And the only reason why is last year down the stretch they really tried to get back to being more balanced and and trying to do some different things. So I think they're going to try that. I don't know that how well it will hold up, right? Because the defense has to do its part. They play in a really tough, you know, division, their overall schedule is not too bad actually, but their division is really tough. Um, the biggest thing is what you said and and I mentioned earlier the the offensive line is terrible. Um, and that, that just really hurts, you know, and and some of this you can't even necessarily, you know, blame on golf. But if you look at um, where I've got him, 595 attempts, 63% completion rate, 7.75 yards per attempt, I've got him at 4,600 yards, 27 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, that's a 4.5% touchdown per attempt rate, 15 interceptions, I've got 35 rushing attempts with one rushing touchdown. So, I mean, he's, he's just outside of my, you know, top 14, which I consider all to be worthy QB ones he sits just on the other side of that bar on my tears you know so I have my little bars and then I have a really big one like saying you want one of these 14 you know <laughs> and he's not on the right side of it but he is the he's one of the next guys on the other side you know so if they can somehow pull uh, as Jason Witten would say a rabbit out of their head and do something you know interesting as far <laughs> as their blocking Goff does have some, you know, really interesting weapons Um, in, you know, we've, we've got a coach who's shown in the past to be able to, to, you know, get something out of a scheme. So I think there's still some potential upside there, but I'm, I'm pretty scared like you ultimately, just because I don't know how you fix that offensive line with, with all the problems they have.
0: Yeah. So when we look at the running game, I mean, what I just touched upon is, I mean, they have three different types of players. I mean, Darrell Henderson is a primarily a gap player who really struggled last year trying to put him in outside zone. And maybe he's gotten better there if he has. And it's not impossible. I mean, we've seen outside zone, I think, is one of the easier run game adjustments that a running back can get to. Like, I
1: I think it's easier. Tell tell folks how that works, Matt. Because I have people ask all the time, you know, and I, I know there's, easy diagrams you can show, right? Where you're reading outside, then you're reading the gap and then you have your cutback. But you can probably explain that a lot better than me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you did a good job just off the bat. You're, You're kind of looking for the, you know, the first thing you're trying to do on an outside zone is you have three options, which is to basically take it to the outside, outside the tight end. You can cram it in the middle, which is more off of the tackle, kind of inside of the tackle, into that tackle guard area. And then you can cut back, which is either you know inside the, the, the guard. old Terrell
1: Davis special, exactly. <laughs> and
0: so, you know, the the idea most of all is that your primary is to is to follow the tight end and, and tackle to that outside. But what you're doing is reading pre snap and post snap the location of the helmet or pads of the defender. You know, pre snap if you have a linebacker or safety who's playing outside the tight end you most likely know that you need to be watching for the cram that in the more inside up the middle run, you're still going to veer towards the outside, but it's going to be more towards the middle part of that range. Um, And then if you see, as you start to do that, if you see that that's also played by the defense, that they're shading to that outside and taking away those gaps, then you cut it back. Um, And again, it also depends. You know, the thing with running backs too is you have to understand they're reading kind of like, you know, the they're reading the field before the snap. The best running backs read the field before the snap so they, they can see whether or not like, okay, most likely I'm gonna have the the cram, but I'm not gonna have the cutback or the bounce. Um, you know, and so I'm I'm gonna try and set up the bounce and hope that I can get it get that cram because it looks like the way the defense is playing this. I'm not going to get the cut back. Or it's like, I know I'm either going to get the get it all the way outside or I'm going to have to cut it all the way back. And and you kind of give maybe that middle part, the cram, a little bit of deference, just as you're giving just to give it a little bit of a peek. But you again, the best backs kind of read the situation and understand how the defense is playing. And they're also able to see the color. So it's a very kind of fluid thing. You have to be good, not only pre-snap but you have to be really good at reading the flash of colors post-snap and that's a that's a very tough thing to do but it's easier to do that I think on the as an outside zone because you're reliant more on your speed you're reliant more on a smaller window of gaps that you're going to go outside inside or cut back on then you might say playing an inside zone or any type of run that's to the inside where you really could veer in any direction as a good runner. You can create in any of those gaps, you know, to the right or to the left. And so when you're coming from a gap style offense, where it's just like one, you're following a pulling guard, you know, or a man offense where you're following maybe one set of double team, you know, you pretty much know where you're supposed to go. Everything's marshaled in that direction. And Darrell Henderson was very good at that. But when you take guys like Darrell Henderson or you take a, um, a CJ Spiller or a Tevin Coleman and you put them into an outside zone situation in the pros, they have to do a little bit more reading. But that outside zone, it's usually the best transition to go from gap to zone because that speed still a factor in that element there. So Darrell Henderson, if he can make the transition, he might turn out to be the best option for them just because of the speed. Um, But I think that we all know that that offensive line's probably not going to make that transition. I think we'd bet on that. So then you've got Akers. And Akers is a very good back. um, But he's more prone. He's better gap than he is um, zone guy too. So there's going to be adjustments with him as well. So when we look at this all together... I think the, the the wisest back on this team is Malcolm Brown, but he's not the guy they want starting. Um, but he could very well wind up having a bigger role early on in the season. Um, right now, it's kind of a two-way split for me between Akers and Henderson, with Brown having a kind of a, a smaller portion. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if Brown ends up having to do a lot more than, than the team expected if things go haywire. Um, Both these guys, Henderson and Akers, are good receivers. Um, I think Akers is a better player at the catch point, whereas Henderson's flashier in terms of what he does downfield. I mean, Akers can do some of that, but Akers I've seen him thrown to in the red zone where he's had to go and get the ball um, from another defender or um, come back to the ball and work back to his quarterback, and I was impressed with what he did there. So looking at this trio, I have Akers leading the group but it's not by much. I have met at 129 attempts whereas I have Henderson at 106 and Malcolm Brown at 63. Um this doesn't factor well for you know fantasy play <laughs> if you tell if you ask me. But I have Akers at 129 for 575 yards. That's 4.45 yards per carry. I think I'm too high on that mark to be honest with you. you. Are. You um, are. Yeah. So, <laughs> after what we just talked about, yes. the line. I yeah. also, and I also have him at seven touchdowns, which I also think is way too high. So, this is a team that I haven't changed since earlier this summer. So, if I were to make a recommendation off the cuff, I would say he's going to get 109 attempts, and I would probably take about 75 yards off of that, maybe even 100 yards off of that. Let's just see what that would come out to, just for the heck of it. If I put him at 500, That's about 3.87 yards per carry. I think that's probably about right for Cam Akers. And then I have him at seven touchdowns. I'm going to knock that down. I'm going to give him, honestly, I'm going to give him five, and I still think that's kind of high. Then I have him at 56 targets um, for 36 receptions, 336 yards, and two touchdowns. So I have him at seven touchdowns at the end of this and I still think I'm a little too high on him. I'm probably going to drop him down at the, you know, this week in my projections. Um then when it comes to Darrell Henderson, I have him at 106 attempts for 480 yards. Again, too high. I'm going to knock 80 yards off of that right now. Get him down to about 3.7 yards per Jeez, attempt. This is
1: depressing.
0: Yeah. I have him at six touchdowns, but I don't think that's really an, I think that's too many too. I'm going to put him at three. I'm going to give Cam Akers four instead of five. I don't even like that five number, Um, you know, looking at this. And then I have him at 38 targets for 21 receptions, 186 yards and one touchdown. So neither of these guys are, you know, these are guys are shot in the dark. You know, I think the common thing to say is draft Darrell Henderson. He's the better value because you can get him later. I would say, Don't draft any of them unless it's Malcolm Brown that you can get off the waiver wire um, and and you're desperate because this offensive line isn't worth a crap right now and they're not going to support the talent that we have here. It's nothing about the talent of Henderson and Akers. It's all about the lack of talent with the line. By the way, Malcolm Brown, 63 for 270 yards at 4.2 yards attempt. I'm not changing that because I actually think Malcolm Brown can get that behind this bad offensive line um, because he's a veteran and he knows how to max take what's there. He's always been good at that. He was good at that at Texas. Um, I have four touchdowns for him. I'm going to keep that because I actually think he might be the leading touchdown producer on this team in a, from a rushing standpoint. So I'm going to tie him with Akers here. I don't have him catching the ball very much, though, because these other two guys are going to be on the field. Um, so that's the run game for me, Dwayne. I mean, had, are you are you different than me on that after I did my deep discounts and I, and I slashed here <laughs> with
1: the fire sale or what? Um, yeah, but, you know, the way I look at it is this. Daryl Henderson, I was really, you know, I was excited about last year, but you warned. You warned about first year backs coming out of a, you know, a power type scheme where he's getting to follow a lead blocker. And basically just make one cut and go that that can be tough in a first year transition, right, for, you know, a guy going to to wide zone. And, and we started hearing the smoke signals, I remember, back in training camp, back when we actually heard real news from training camp. And reporters were actually allowed to be at practices and weird stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and I remember, remember him being quoted, you know, in the media and him saying, yeah, I'm just trying to put back to back good to Uh, good days together I think I'm I think I'm making progress and that was just kept going off bells were going off in my head I'm like this is exactly what Matt was talking about and then his coach would talk and his coach would talk and say well Daryl you know I mean was used to doing this kind of thing and so he's having to make the transition to get to doing this kind of thing and it just ended up really being a lost rookie season Um, but the problem I have for Henderson um, is it wasn't just that you know, he, he struggled. He just couldn't get on the field at all. Like he was inactive for a ton of games where he he wasn't even buried. Yeah. Yeah. Another good. And so that, that that's bothersome for me. Any, anytime I look back and I look at rookie running backs that just couldn't get on the field at all. Not to say that that doesn't mean you can't ever overcome it, but it's a kind of a bad sign that they don't see any way to use you, especially down the stretch. Whenever all these people are hurt, it seems like he could have been a weapon they could have really used. And so, that bothers me. Um, I think Cam Akers is going to lead the backfield. I still think it's a committee, like you mentioned. I've got Akers at 50% of the carries. I got Henderson at 30%, and I got Malcolm Brown at 10%. I'm with you that Brown could go higher. Um, I take him super late in fantasy drafts, you know, around 17, 18, quite often. A lot of times, it's pairing him with Cam Akers, you know. So I have Akers at 215 carries, but only four yards per carry. I've got him at 800, 860 yards. Again, him at seven and a half rushing touchdowns. I'm pretty confident based off of everything I'm reading that he's going to get the inside the five carries. They, they want him to be the guy. I think they also want him to be the main guy on the field during pass on passing downs. Um, so I think, you know, it's going to be a committee, but he will be in the lead role. Um, and I think they basically want him to take it um so it that could turn out being wrong but i mean i like malcolm brown but i also look at him and think you know i mean he's had three years to do something he's had opportunities when todd gurley's been hurt he's had opportunities last year you know to show more they tried to give him more of the workload when they were managing gurley and he he continued to struggle now it all may just be the offensive line and he got hurt too yeah he he did get hurt so but i mean when you draft cam Akers in the second round that Tells me basically what I need to know. That's kind of, in my opinion, it's 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 saying, look, we're not for sure what we have, but we like this guy. It's it's not a 100% stamp of approval, so I still have it as a bit of a committee. But Acres is the guy that, when I look at you know some of the rookies, I mean, he's actually going in a range where he's draftable. You know, Jonathan Taylor, I got to take it three one, you know, three two. and yes, I like Jonathan Taylor. I like him way more than Cam Akers. I like his offensive line way more than Cam Akers. But I mean, Marlon Mack's not just going to disappear, and Heem Hines gets passing work. So, for me, once you get down to Akers, um, you know, in the late, you know, mid-fifth, late fifth round, you know, I think he's a value as your running back three, and that's typically what I try to target him as. Um, and I'm making a plan about how I'm incorporating him, you know, into my team. So I've got him at. Um, 215 carries. I already said that, right? 860 and seven. But then I've got him 42 targets, 31 receptions, 250 receiving yards, and one receiving touchdown. So I basically got him at eight and a half touchdowns and, you know, about 1,100 yards total. Um, but I think that he could do more. I think he could actually take over more of the work. Um, so I think there is upside from there. I, I certainly believe there's downside, but the way he's priced in drafts, I'm willing to take the downside. Um, I also. Like I said, I like to circle back and get Brown later. Heck, sometimes Daryl Henderson—you know—people will just completely ignore, and so he falls. You know, eleven around eleven, round twelve. You know, sometimes. So, so there's there's other ways that you you can attack it. You know, I, I don't necessarily want to have a everything invested. You know, in the Rams' backfield. So typically, I just take Acres, and then if Brown is around really late, I'll just grab him.
0: Yeah, when I this is a team where honestly, I look at the Rams and I think they've traded their horns for wings because i'm just not i'm i'm not taking any of them um i and it's and i in a dynasty format cam makers all day i i like cam makers long term like if i were doing two year projections i would probably project cam makers as a guy who's going to give you for the next you know two years two three and four i would expect him to give you you know running high end running back three or Midline running back to production um, from that point, and maybe even exceed that if they can get the so offensive line I, together.
1: So here would be my question to you then, <clears throat> because if you think he can get that next year, right. And down the road, really what's, I mean, they can't replace their whole offensive line in one year. That's kind of the thought process I went through was the one you just did. Yeah. And at first I was down on acres and I was like, well, if I like acres over the next three years, why don't I just like him this year, they aren't going to fix everything. Um, and, and I mean, Daryl Henderson, you know, the warts are still there. I mean, are, are we assuming Daryl Henderson's just going to have a terrible this year, this year, and then it all goes to acres? I mean, because technically he's under contract for another three years, including this one. So, I mean, it's not like he'll just be gone. So I, I, I get it. I, I'm with you on the Rams offensive line. Um, but I would just ask you that. I mean, yeah, I'll give you, you think a- he can be good over the two to three versus just this year, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know.
0: My answer would be this. They have... They have one piece in Whitworth. I don't know how long it's going to be there. But I think they can acquire... I think they can acquire two pieces and that make that a functional offensive line. And that's... you know, If you can get a good center and you can get a guard, you can run to one side of the field pretty well. Or if you can get a couple of guards and feel like your center's improved, I think you can handle that. And usually, if you get rookie guards, you usually can get run play out of two rookie guards. If you get a... If you get a free agent center who's a good one like get and go after one in free agency, you can do a pretty good job of re of upping that line. And again, I'm presuming that that McVeigh is actually um, got as much wisdom some amount of wisdom in there along with all of that, those parlor tricks that he under can do with the with the you know with the photographic memory. Um, but hopefully hopefully his photographic memory read some sort of book that said an offensive line is important in order to help all those great skill players that you have because he's got some great ones there and you know he's going to let them flounder as a result of this so i think if i think i think even if we're going to say we presume he's just a complete dumbass and even though he's not But let's presume he is. I think even a dumbass is going to understand that he's got to fix that line after this year because he may not even be the coach of this team. I think he'll be the coach of this team next year because he got them to the Super Bowl. I think he'll get that one more year and be under an amazing amount of fire, being a massive hot seat if he doesn't perform well this year. And that one more year will be to get your offensive line together. Like, I can even imagine the coaches... Um, not the coaches, but the the ownership um, going, well, what's wrong with our team? The offensive line, anybody fool can tell you that. So we're going to hire somebody and, and put them in, the, you know how they do, uh, dysfunctional mm-hmm. leadership. They're, they're going to hire some consultant or some veteran and say, you're going to get the offensive line together. And then that's going to cause all sorts of dysfunction with McVay. Um, and then, you, you know, we'll see what happens from there. But I do think that's my answer is I think it's, you can't replace the whole line, but you can get two more pieces and and beg Whitworth to stay. And I think if you do that, <laughs> I think then, you're going to have to beg him I think you may. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but there we go. So
1: the yeah. best part. So I've, I've yeah. got I've got Henderson at yeah. 129 attempts, okay. uh, 517 yards. Uh, three touchdowns and I've got him at 22 receptions for 201 yards. I've got Malcolm Brown at 43 attempts, 172 yards with one rushing touchdown. I don't really have much for him in the passing game. So that's how I've got it broken down. Okay, sweet.
0: Nice. All right. So, yeah, so obviously Dwayne's higher than I am on him. There's some good rationale in terms of the argument in terms of why, you know, what he brings up there. And I think, you know where you can get these guys are relative bargains to what's going on so if you feel like you don't want to limit your choices on running backs I think Dwayne's rationale is a good one if you're like no I want a no-fly list then put these suckers on your no-fly list that's basically what I would tell you um when we come down to the passing game listen you know on tape Cooper Cup's one of my absolute favorite receivers um he's so good he's so good against press coverage, unless you start looking at some of the press coverage data that says maybe he's not, you know, I mean, I know that sounds confusing, but to me on film, I've seen him do an amazing job against press coverage with certain looks. So I'm I'm going to be interested, you know, if Dwayne's seen anything from that perspective, um, from the data that talks about what he's done from that angle. Um, you, you know, I do wonder if, um, you, you want know, me to jump in? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. His his data isn't bad against press coverage. I I think where the issue comes up is they don't really like him as a run blocker. It's not that they hate him, but they like a guy like Josh Josh Reynolds better. And they like to keep that vertical element on the field that Reynolds gives them in a play-action situation. So I I heard some of that around Cup. I don't think Cup not being on the field and 12 personnel really has much to do with him not being able to beat press. I couldn't find anything in the data – that made that made me come to that you know conclusion in fact you know there were certain situations where he was really good against press coverage so i I found it just to be you know the contrary
0: yeah i thought he was one thank you because i thought he was one of the better press coverage receivers that i've seen come out of college and that doesn't mean that he's going to be as good in the pros but from what i saw in the pros he looked pretty darn good um you know so it's going to be to me how this kind of splits out is the way Dwayne talked about robert woods is probably your your top wide receiver on this board because he's the most versatile they're still going to want to use him on these fly sweeps they're still going to want to use him in the short game he's still going to be a good he's still a good intermediate and deep receiver for you he runs every route well he's a masterful technician he's probably one of the more underrated receivers in the league so much so that and it's been said so much over the past three years that likely he's no longer underrated he's just you know he's you know he's starting to get his due um cup i don't think he's going to completely drop off the face of the earth by any stretch of the imagination um but i think he's going to be the third most targeted receiver in this offense if you include tyler higby so um and then when you look at reynolds reynolds and van jefferson will probably be close to equal but i expect reynolds to get some get more targets but it's not out of the realm of possibility that Van Jefferson plays well enough to be able to, um, you know, outdo Reynolds in terms of production. So the way I have it, uh, Robert Woods hey, Matt. Uh,
1: yeah. Real quick question on Jefferson. Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, please. Known it a couple of times now, but I have these questions. So please do. What, how, how does Jefferson, you know, and I've read the RSP, but for folks that haven't, yeah. you know, give them just a quick gist of, you know, how does he profile? Like, what are his strengths? What are the things that you, you really like about him? And then what are the things you think he needs to work on?
0: The things that I like about him as a route runner, he's a lot more like Robert Woods. He's versatile. He's very good at being able to set up his routes. Um, he's His dad is, you know, Sean Jefferson, who's a wide receivers coach um, for the, New York Jets used to be a wide receiver for the Chargers Patriot. and the Patriots. Now, Sean and Van have a lot in common. They were both very good receivers. Um, they can stretch the intermediate part of the field. Sean was a little bit more of a speedster. Um, like. But the apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree in one area that isn't so positive, and that's um, how they catch the football. Um, Sean had some troubles catching the football, if I can recall, he had some key drops in a lot, with a lot of teams, and he was with a lot of teams for a reason because he didn't always make those big time catches. Um, Van tends to not use the correct technique to catch the ball, and he fights the ball at times where he's in tighter coverage. He's, he's a tough kid. He's a really fun receiver to watch in terms of getting open um, because he's efficient and creative, which is very difficult to get. And people will talk about how he he really schooled some of those LSU corners, especially Singletary, who's a you know, who's a freshman, but a really good freshman. But when it comes to catching the football, sometimes he leaves his feet when he shouldn't, sometimes he doesn't put it he doesn't attack the ball in the range that he should. And so when he takes contact, he ends up losing the ball. So you know, he's gonna be exciting in glimpses, but I don't expect him to be like a top receiver unless he just Unless Robert Woods or Cooper Cup fall, you know, go to the um, right. Because I kind of wonder that.
1: That's kind of that's kind of what I wonder. Is he really been? Has he really been drafted? Because they are so tight on the cap to be hopefully the replacement to either Cup if they can't afford him, and I think Woods may be two years away. I don't know his deal because he sounds like he profiles more to be, you know, like them. Um, Does he have? I know you mentioned that he's not as fast, you know, as his dad Sean. Um, I don't know, we should say fast. You just said vertical threat. If you had to pick which guy stretches the field better, would it be Josh Reynolds or Van Jefferson? Without a doubt, Josh Reynolds. Um, Without a doubt. Reynolds is the better field stretcher.
0: And this is the other thing to me, why I'm not uh, as big on McVay, because I think Josh, you know, Josh Reynolds was my number two receiver in the RSP a number of years back. He's one of the things that he's great at, like the best at his class at, was winning the ball in the air, like fade routes, letting him get the ball, jump balls, things where e- even if you're not going to throw it necessarily contested, but areas that the pass could get wind up contested in tight coverage, that's your man. Josh Reynolds is like mm-hmm. great at adjusting to the football. They never use him that way. They never use him on any routes. They run him inside routes, you know, inside routes or vert- straight up verticals. And that's fine. And he's flashed and done pretty well, but like, it's like you have a, you have a great saw and you decide that you're going to use it as a hammer. I just don't really understand. Like, (laughs) you know, that's, it's creative. I don't know if it's necessarily the best thing you want to do with it. So I, I just think it's kind of nutty that they've done that with him. And that's why I'm not so enthusiastic about this run game adjustments either, but yeah, Reynolds to me, you know, when I look at this, yeah. So you know, Jefferson to me is is most likely a futures type of option. Reynolds and Cup will probably be gone. Cup's going to wind up somewhere great. I have a feeling. I, I I don't. I think you'd have to be an absolute idiot of a co, of a team. That that sounds like a him. complete
1: Patriots signing.
0: That's oh what yeah. Like. <laughs> oh yeah. He's either he's either a Patriots signing. Or somebody gets hurt in Tampa Bay and Tom Brady is begging for this guy. I mean, like, oh yeah, yeah, that or hurt. yeah, or you know, if you're smart, I know a team somewhere about 60 miles south of where I live that has tried to get Laquan Treadwell as a slot receiver, <laughs> and they have a bunch of small, fast guys. Yeah, yeah Justin Gage. I keep hearing about Justin Gage. Justin Gage is okay. I mean, you know. But if they really want a slot receiver and put Calvin Ridley outside and have Julio Jones and you really want to elevate that offense, Matt Ryan would lose his mind if he got Cooper Cup. That's all I would say. So, you know, or, oh, I know another team that would really like him too. I just got to add this one in the Miami Dolphins with Devontae Parker and Preston Williams on the outside. You put Cooper Cup in the middle. Young Tua Tang- Tonga Vailoa would absolutely love that
1: too. So he might feel like he's back at you know Alabama. Yeah,
0: he might very well at that point. So the numbers. Robert Woods, 135 <laughs> targets, <laughs> 87 receptions, 1080 yards, 12.4 yards per catch at five touchdowns. I have him as the leading receiver on this team. Okay, but not by much. Um, you know, really. I have Cooper Cup as the second highest receiver. He's getting 110 targets, so I don't necessarily have him. You know, he's not at that top 10 status he was last year, um, but he's not dropped off the face of the earth. I have him at 70 receptions, 900 yards, 12.8 yards per catch, because he's gonna get a few more deeper looks. I think he'll do well off play action. He has he has the best burst of any receiver on the team. Like his initial acceleration is. Allen Robinson like. It's that quick. So if you can if if he gets a little more experience in that outside area, which he's gonna get, he's gonna beat some people. You're gonna be surprised by it. And golf is a good anticipate anticipation passer. Um I have him at seven touchdowns. Um, so he's leading the team in touchdowns. And the reason I have I hate
1: I hate to jump in. Yeah, but please. We're I, exactly the same. <laughs> That's I have awesome. him I haven't met a very close. I haven't met 107 targets, which will make most people that are listening to this flip, right? Yeah. Because they think Cooper cup can catch a hundred balls. I just don't see it this year. Right. Right. So 107 targets, 72 receptions. Didn't you just say 72 catches? I have 70, but still close. I have 900, I have 903 yards. I think you said 900, exactly. I have 12 and a half per catch. You have twelve eight, and I have 6.7 touchdowns. I think you said seven. Yeah. I have him leading the team in touchdowns.
0: Yeah. Because he's the best red zone receiver they have. And that he has the best rapport with um, with Jared Goff. It's been that way since he was a rookie. I mean, the, you know, the, one of the things you always want to pay attention to is when you have defensive-minded head coaches and they tell you what they think of the the opposite, the opposing um, players on, that they're going to face. And in his rookie year, Mike Zimmer <laughs> of the Vikings literally said, their best receiver is Cooper Cup, and he's the guy we need to watch, and we need to watch him in the red zone and it was like before it was like they were like five or six games in maybe seven or eight games in so it wasn't like we had a full season's worth of data to go cooper cups their best red zone option you know but mike zimmer said that you know and he's he's been known to be a pretty smart defensive-minded coach so anyway those are those two guys van jefferson or um josh reynolds is my third leading receiver wide receiver 59 targets 35 receptions 550 yards for 15.7 yards per catch. I'm hoping he breaks out a little bit. I'm trying to give him the benefit of maybe getting to stretch the field a little bit more. I have him at three touchdowns. He could easily be a lot higher if this team has to abandon 12 personnel. Um, But even then, he's going to be anchored down by the the draft capital of Van Jefferson who I think is going to get 40 targets, 30 receptions, 326 yards for about 10.8 yards per catch and two touchdowns. Um, I think I'm being ambitious with the target to reception ratio because I think Van may have to deal with some contested moments. I wouldn't be surprised if he drops five of the balls that I've given him credit for um, and have more at about 25 catches. Um, But, you know, he's, again, good receiver, but you're going to see some ups and downs from him this year. Um, So that's where I'm at with the the wide receivers. You know, who are the – for you, what about Woods, Reynolds, and Jefferson for you?
1: Yeah, we're, we're close on Woods as well. I've got him leading the team. I've got him at 23%. That's 137 targets. That's that's 30 more than Cup. And it's all about being able... He's on the field for all the formations, yeah. right? All, all of the different personnel groupings, he's in there. Cup's not. You know, yeah. Cup's the guy. Cup comes on and off. Now, that could potentially change. Um, you know, maybe they just let Cup work outside all year. But I think based on what I've read, based on what I read about last year down the stretch. They like Reynolds as the field stretcher. They also like his blocking. So I think, you know, Cup could rotate in some more. But I mean last year, Matt, I mean this is I mean it's pretty it's pretty uh clear when I look at it. You know, I already talked about how much this team went up in twelve personnel earlier, but Cup averaged twenty five percent target share over the first eleven games, but dipped to four 15% over the last five when they went heavy on 12 personnel after brandon cooks you know had his you know after he had his concussion issues and so if you look at 12 personnel cooper cup had 11 snaps all year and 12 he led the team with 559 snaps out of 11 right so it's it's a matter of I mean it's kind of a tricky game here yeah. because the Rams could all of a sudden be getting blown out so much all the research and everything that goes into this you know could all of a sudden just be like yep Cooper Cup 150 targets it's in his range of outcomes point, though, yeah. because yeah because if the Rams are terrible they can't stay in 12 you know so um, I know they want to do that more so when I look at Cooper Cup even though I've got him I've got him at 107 catches 70 sorry 107 targets 72 receptions 900 yards seven touchdowns his high end range of outcomes is still is higher than what i do with most receivers yeah because he's i didn't hitting realize upside. there's this yes there's this scenario where everything's out the window and even though the process you know we may use to get to where we are it's just you know, it could be week through three and it's in the trash you know yeah. so we'll just have to see but for now i mean i think this is a pretty fair you know look at cooper cup i don't see a ton of downside from where i have him you know to be honest i see mostly upside so if, if, if he's a guy i don't like taking him in the fourth round which is where he often goes and it's mostly because and this is in 12 man leagues you know mostly playing with sharp you know drafters um i like the uh, I, there's so many other guys i like better in the fourth yeah. you know just because i feel like they have left questions it's nothing about cooper cup right? The player, love him, you know, all the things you just said are great, but like what I have in his notes out to my side, you know, whenever I'm first putting together my plan around how I draft, it says don't overpay. And it says next to Robert Woods, it says target because he goes later. He's on the field all the time. And you already mentioned earlier, the guy gets 15 to 20 carries a year. Yeah. That's just icing, you know, on the cake. So from a fantasy points perspective, I've got, um, you know woods at 257 points i've got cooper cup like right at 210. so i've got him quite a bit higher even though i know cup has that ceiling um i've got josh reynolds next matt i've got him at 15 percent um i've only got van jefferson at three percent of the targets um and this is based off just a lot of the stuff that i was reading about reynolds last year and also you know how they used him um down the stretch you know it was really it was there were some there was some spark there you know with reynolds and with Goff, and so when you looked at when cook's with cook's gone there's 424 snaps that are open right for reynolds and jefferson so that's great um, but he had in the two games while cook was you know gimpy and they weren't wanting to get him on the field right after coming off the concussions 26 and 28 percent of the targets i mean they lit this dude up with targets and people don't realize now woods led the team down the stretch out of 12 Um, He averaged 25%, you know, target share um, down the stretch. So he was, you know, the most consistent guy, you know, Reynolds was more of a, you know, kind of a peaks and valley kind of guy, but his valleys weren't terrible either. So, but he's definitely, he's got the upside for in games where they're, if they're close or if they're ahead man, Reynolds could have some really huge games. And I think he's a great late, late draft draft pick. Um, he, uh, he even in these sharp leagues, you know, doesn't go until 17, 19, 20 in those rounds. Um, and I like drafting him because I'm also an RSP reader and I know where you had him ranked. So I'm like, man, maybe this kid finally gets his shot and they just say Brandon cooks who like this dude's awesome. So I'm, I'm excited about Reynolds just mainly because of where I get to draft him, but I've got him at, uh, 89 targets, 51 receptions, but I've got him at 15 yards per catch, so that's 770 yards, and I have him at four touchdowns. Nice, um, Jefferson, 18, 18 targets, uh, you know, 13 receptions, 100 yards. Basically, I'm looking at it as He he needs one of these other guys, you know, to have an injury. But what I like about him is what you said. He could play Woods's role. He could play Cooper Cup's role so if either one of those guys gets hurt there is an open door you know for Jefferson but I just look at him more as well I'll address that when it happens I don't think he's gonna be out there out of the gate um, based off of what I've read Um, but I could be wrong
0: yeah he's gonna be one of those guys that if you draft him because you're excited about him you're gonna be perpetually frustrated because you're gonna drop him just as when he, he actually ends up being good someone else takes him and he ends up being you know productive and you you're, you're wanting to hammer your head up against the desk so um tight end speaking of players who sometimes hammer their head up against the desk um you know we have Gerald Everett I think he's still going to be a factor in this passing game because he and Goff have had a connection um, in the vertical aspect of the game they can often you start off in 12 personnel and split it out and put um, Everett in the slot and let him run some of those deep corner routes that he runs so well. The sale route is like his beauty. He and he and golf have connected on that big time, especially at the end of the chiefs game a couple of years ago. Remember that he, he was, he put the nail in the coffin for that in that, in that NBA all-star game that we, that was disguised as a football game. Um, but when you look at, you know, this team Higby, I mean, listen, this was a guy who got in a massive amount of trouble cause he basically committed a hate crime. Um, and and beat up a kid in a bar in 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 the western Kentucky area and is very lucky that he's not in prison. Um, So he's, you know, you know, these are things that, you know, I'll just put it to you this way. Um, You know, these are young players and the the law decides to do what they're going to do. And and, you know, they obviously he probably got a good lawyer um, and things happen the way they did. Um, so we're, you know, I invariably have somebody bring something up like this. So I'll just say, you know, I look at players based on what they can do, you know, whether I like that they're on the field or not. Um, and But, you know, as strictly as a football player, T- Tyler Higbee is a very fluid receiver. He's someone who has the speed to stretch the seam, and he's also quite powerful after the catch. He runs with very good contact balance, and he has skill to be able to, You know be able to um, make some of those difficult catches in tight coverage and then be able to run through multiple players and we saw that he was on a tear last year Um, Hopkins we already talked about a little bit Mutt we also did as well so with Everett I have Everett at 50 targets 30 receptions 240 yards for a very low eight yards per catch I'm not sure why I have it that low because he's not really that much of a blocker but I can't see how they're going to use him over Higby. So I'm probably going to end up probably adjusting Everett and giving him fewer receptions, keeping the yardage up in the yards per catch um, and, and giving some of those receptions and targets to other players. But I only have him at one touchdown. So I have Everett very low. Um, Higby I have is the second leading re- um, receiver on the team. I have him at 115 targets, 82 catches, 975 yards for 11.8 yards per catch and five touchdowns. And um, I think I could be underselling his touchdowns. Um, Just have a feeling about that one. Bryson Hopkins, 10 targets, five receptions, 26 yards. Johnny Munt, um, I didn't put anything down for him, even though he will be on the field. um, Just because, honestly, he could probably get... Johnny Munt's numbers could probably be closer to what I gave for Gerald Everett, which is probably, again, you know, I would probably give him, you know, 30. Uh, he'd be the type of player I'd probably give 25 targets, you know, 18 receptions, you know, somewhere in around 180 yards for 10 yards of catch, and that, that might be too high, you know, and no touchdowns. <laughs>
1: right well i that's where i think he actually could do a little because he's the forgotten man right down right. inside the pile. he's nick boyle know? it's kind of it's yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like oh where's higby where's cup where's woods oh shit there goes johnny mont right <laughs> you know so um so, you know how that goes daryl johnston used to get a few of those when the cat oh, yes. days. he'd just be why just over there all by himself um so here here's where i've got you know these two guys and so We've talked about a lot of it. It comes back to this 12 personnel. And I think the team was better last year down the stretch, much better over the last six games when they went to this new type of approach, you know, using more. I think that's problematic for Everett because he's not the greatest blocker. So the way I see Everett, is, I see him as a movable chess piece. I also see him as a guy that if, if cup gets hurt, they could line him up in the slot. Right, it may not be van jefferson right if 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 cup gets hurt and he's dealing with an ankle sprain already you know the guy has some ginger ankles gerald everett could be the dude in the slot so you could literally have Munt, you could have uh higby and you could have everett he's enough of an athlete that that doesn't make it to where you don't have you know a vertical threat and you could still have reynolds outside and man that could actually be now while everett isn't a plus in the blocking game you know compared to other tight ends, he's a plus in the blocking game compared probably to Van Jefferson. I mean, I don't know. You would know that better than me. Yeah. So I, I think there could be some I think there could be some interesting things that you could get from that. So I'm anticipating that Everett is a guy that they're gonna look at the matchup each week and they're gonna figure out what's the wrinkle. how are we going to use him? Is he gonna be a decoy? Is he going to be part of the plan? But then I think if Higby goes down, he's a gold mine. If uh, you know Cup goes down, he could potentially be a gold mine. But until that happens, you know, I'm taking him in in, in deeper leagues. I'll take him in round 15, 16, just to stash him, you know, just to see. Because, one, we don't know for sure. They they could come out and run Higby and Everett out of 12 personnel and say Johnny Munt on the bench. Who knows? I mean, weird things happen. You know, we can do all this research like we said, and weird things can happen. So I take him late, and I I look at him more as, you know, a cuff, you know, to Higby. Um, But I don't see a huge role for him. Um, so right now got, I have Gerald Everett, you know, at seven percent of the targets. That's forty-two targets, twenty-seven receptions, two hundred and ninety-eight yards, and two touchdowns. Um, he could easily have more touchdowns than that. You know, he's a guy that they could work in. Um, but in, in, to your point, he's not a bad player. He 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 earned the ninth tight end receiving grade last year out of all uh, tight ends at Pro Football Focus. Um, now it was quite a bit lower than Higby, who we'll talk about in a second. But still nine. Ninth out of, you know, uh, yeah. what was that out of? That was out of, like, the top 50 I looked at. Um, the thing that concerns me, you know, also with, you know, Everett Matt is that he was – he had two full weeks of practice in week 16 and 17, you know, coming back from his injury, where he wasn't even listed. Now, different teams handle different things different ways, but he was full, you know, all week long in both of those. And he just couldn't get involved. I mean, it's, it's, and it's because I think Higby was just extremely hot. You know, and they were like, we're not taking Higby off the field. So when I look at Higby, um, you know, 2.6 yards per route ran. um, That (laughs) is super heady for a tight end. We're talking Gronkowski. We're talking Kelsey. You know, I mean, and I'm not trying to say he is those guys, but you know what? When I I remember watching him and thinking, man, this guy has a Travis Kelsey vibe to him, like when I would watch him. And I was watching his film. And then I I believe even you, it might've been you. I think it was you that said something similar to that. They're like, Hey, you know, he's kind of a Kelsey starter kit. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You said something along those lines. And when you said that, I was like, wow. So Higby's a guy that I've kind of had my eye on and you know, they gave him a $29 million extension last September. It's like, they know the guy's good. You know why they didn't get him the ball sooner? I don't know. Maybe they were waiting but, I mean, for him.
0: Maybe they were waiting for him to grow up in the same way that the Indianapolis Colts or Denver Broncos
1: were waiting for Chad Kelly to grow up. There you go. But they they obviously knew enough to give him that extension, right? Twenty nine million last September. That was before he did all this. So I'm I'm in with you, like Higby. I realize the risk because he and Everett could rotate. But here's the deal: Everett is a free agent next year. To your point, they brought in Hopkins. months a good blocker. I think this is Higby's spot. And I think Everett is just going to – he might give him a breather here and there, but I think Everett is more a guy they're going to get on the field in different ways, and they're going to move him around the formation, and they're going to create matchup problems based on, you know, the other team's secondary linebackers, their safeties. They're going to they're gonna figure out which weeks, you know, they want to get him more involved. But I think Higby's going to be involved every single week. Um, And he's a player I don't reach for in drafts, but there's a tier of tight ends kind of in the middle, like your Hunter Henry's your, and I like Evan Ingram, but he's always hurt. Um, You know, there's a Hayden Hurst. There's all these guys that everybody takes out of that group. Higby is the one I target or basically I don't take one and I just wait till later. And the reason why is I believe his upside is sky high. It could be in the top three. Yeah. Now his downside could be low, but all those other guys, I don't feel have the upside that people think. And I can turn around, I can grab somebody off the waiver wire if it doesn't work. Right. Or I draft Irv Smith in pretty much the 12th round of every draft. So, yeah. I mean, I've got another upside play, but Higby I'm with you. I think that, you know, if he pops, it's going to be huge and I've got him at 100, 107 targets, 80 receptions, 840 yards and six touchdowns. Yeah. Um, so I'm bullish on Higby. I'm I'm a believer.
0: Well, listen, I'm always bullish on Dwayne McFarlane, and we always enjoy the opportunity to be able to talk together about what's going to happen during the season with each of these teams. We're going to do the San Francisco 49ers next. um, But thanks again for listening. You can find Dwayne McFarlane at Pro Football Focus at Establish the Run at Fighting Chance Fantasy. Find me at Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Um, And, you know, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Fantasy Football
1: Hustle, Matt. Fantasy Fantasy Football football. Hustle.
0: (laughs) Why do I say fan- gotta listen to the podcast. The because fantasy-
1: that's who we that's who we stream it through. That's true,
0: but it is the Fantasy Football Hustle podcast. Absolutely, I'm just gonna let <laughs> Dwayne like nah. his promo his stuff because I'm screwing it up, and honestly, I am. I mean, so I apologize, but I'm gonna let him do that for now on because my brain's too addled with like numbers and all sorts of other things that I'm trying to um do. So I appreciate you guys. i um, humoring the old man here and. You guys have a good night and, um, you know, rate and review this podcast when you get the chance.